0: Welcome back to Grace Talks, a Christian's women's podcast that studies the Bible, the women in it, and applies it to our lives today. So finally, back on the train of actually getting to talk about some of the women of the Bible. And next up on this list is going to include a story that includes the destruction of two cities being rescued by angels and a woman who longed too much for the past to be able to experience the freedom of the future. So today's one of the Bible can be found in Genesis 19. You can go ahead and dive right in. But first, you already know that we need the backstory and some context. So if you've already heard, checked out, listened to the episode I did on Sarah, who was the wife of Abraham. Mentally, go ahead and place yourself back into that time period of history, because the person who's actually gonna be mentioned by name in this story is gonna be Lot, which was Abraham's nephew. So, in the previous chapter of Genesis, in chapter 18, Abraham is having a conversation with God. And this is important, where God tells Abraham that he heard an outcry from the city of Sodom because their sin was so great and so overwhelming. And through this conversation, Abraham receives confirmation from God that if there are just 10 righteous people in the entire city, then God would not have the city of Sodom destroyed. And Abraham was happy to hear that because, well, his nephew Lot that I mentioned, he lived in Sodom. So now we skip into chapter 19. God has a couple of his angels visit Sodom in the appearance of men. And wouldn't you know, Lot's there. He's at the gateway of the city and he's so insistent upon hospitality and hosting these two men that the angels agree to stay the night under his roof, you know, wash their feet, eat, rest, etc. But remember that the city itself is super wicked. And in the middle of the night, this is more than proven, when it says that literally every man, both young and old, in the city surround the house and demand that Lot hand over the two visitors to them so that they can rape them. So Lot goes out and tries to reason with these very unreasonable people, and his attempts to resolve the issue is a whole other thing that I'm not going to get into for the purpose of this episode, but... It's not working, okay? The men from the city are making a break for the door, basically. They're going to break down the door. They're going to shove Lot out of the way. He's feeling a lot of pressure. And so Lot is basically standing in front of the doorway to his home. And the angels just open the door, grab him, yank him back inside, and shut the door. Um, And obviously... It's proven there's not really righteous people in here. The angels look at each other. They go, God's going to destroy this city. So besides just shutting the door, what they also do is they shut the eyes of all the men that are surrounding the house. And it says specifically in verse 1911 that they struck all of the men outside of the house with a blindness so that they could not find and open the door. So angels looked a lot. They tell him that if he has any other family besides his two daughters and wife who are in the house, that he better go and get them and get them real quick because god is about to destroy and decimate this city so lot runs to where his would-be sons-in-laws are and tells them hurry and get out of this place because the lord is about to destroy the city but his sons-in-laws who are pledged to marry his daughters so they're not married yet um, but they think that he's joking so now dawn is approaching because remember this all happened in the middle of the night and the angels tell lot he needs to hurry no more time to loiter around he needs to grab his wife and his two daughters and book it out of the city, before they get swept away with the destruction. But Lot hesitated. Years before when Abraham and him split to make better use of the land and be able to take care of their individual possessions and livestock and people, Lot chose this beautiful and lush looking land and this was to be his home. And even knowing that he was surrounded by wickedness and these other people, knowing that God was about to smite the city, he still had this moment of hesitation that could have cost him his life and his family's lives but the angels were not having that they grab lots hands and the hands of his wife and his daughters and they lead them by the hands out of the city uh, because as it says in verse 16 it says that the lord chose to be merciful to them so as soon as they were out of the city itself the angels warned them to flee for their lives away from the city away from their past and they said specifically do not look back and do not stop anywhere okay on this plane flee or you will be swept away so they're fleeing away and the sun has now risen over the land and the lord rains down burning sulfur on sodom and its sister city gomorrah god destroys those cities until there is not a single person or a plant living in that land so that's where like the end should occur you know happy ending ish and all good people got away bad people were punished but here's where the butt of the story comes in. Verse 26 of chapter 19 says, but Lot's life looked back and she became a pillar of salt. So not such a happy ending. And then the end credits, if you will, involve Abraham looking out towards Sodom and Gomorrah, seeing the smoke and having the realization that there was not even 10 people in those two cities to save the land. Romans 3, verses 10 through 12 reads, as it is written, there is no unrighteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, there is no one who seeks God. All have turned away, they have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. But it says God remembered. He remembered Abraham, his faithful servant and their last conversation and their covenant. He remembered that Lot was Abraham's family. So he brought Lot out of catastrophe, kind of like how he does with us. None of us are perfect or good even, not even one. But you know who God does remember? Jesus, he remembers his covenant with our savior. I I love a good parallel of the Bible. I always have to bring it up. And speaking of remembering and memories, memories involve thinking about the past, which is a simple statement, I know. But you have to dwell on something to remember something. And there's power in that, like when we dwell on God's word and on his goodness, but there's also the opportunity for weakness when we dwell on the wrong things. The angels told Lot to hurry and flee, but he hesitated. He dwelled on this land that was supposed to be his and was supposed to be his possession. And if not for God's mercy, that would have been the end of the story. His wife was running away from their old life like they had been told to, but she couldn't help but look back and dwell on what they had, what they used to possess. And you know, I think we do that a lot. Picture your life linear, like a piece of string or a measuring tape, right? If you've made that step in your faith and have accepted Jesus as your savior, there is like a distinct dash in your timeline that separates your before and your after. Revelations one five says, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Isaiah 43, 18, 19 says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Each day that you wake up with breath in your lungs is a day brimming with newness, with new mercies, with new Ways in the wilderness, streams in the wasteland, and angels taking you by the hand, even when you hesitate. But if you turn back, if you dwell on the things of the past, on the things that took place before this transformative dash in your life's timeline, on shame or guilt or old habits and old lifestyles, old friendships, spiritually, you could become a lot like Lot's wife, a pillar of salt. Now, nothing in the Bible is without its meaning or interpretations. And so I was sitting here after I read this and contemplated, why salt? Why did she become a pillar of salt and not, I don't know, some other spice or a pillar of rocks? Or but yeah, why salt? What does that mean? So this is what I found out. The salt has a lot of different metaphors and translations and uses in scripture, but one of them used several times in the Bible is used to reference a desolate land or a wasteland. For instance, in Jeremiah 17, 6, it says, that person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. So looking at this in comparison towards our spiritual lives, if we like Lot's wife, keep looking back on our old lives or think that we can stay in the city like Lot, we are setting ourselves up to be swept away in the destruction or turned into wastelands ourselves. But we have a God who wishes to provide living water in the wastelands. Romans 12, nine tells us to hate what is evil, cling to what is good. So instead of looking back or trying to stay in the old, the crippling, the festering sources of evil and hurt, instead we have to keep our eyes on Jesus, on fleeing towards freedom and healing and all that is good. Hebrews 1 through three says, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such oppression from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The word of God is so good. The angels in Genesis told them, don't look back. In the book of Hebrews, we're told where to look instead. When we look back, we trip, we stumble, we get entangled in things that we thought we were leaving behind. But when we fix our eyes on Jesus, he leads us to where we are going and refines us into the people that he knows that we're capable of being. It says that he is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Think of that. Think of that terminology a pioneer a leader a guide he paved the way for us he made it possible to share in his strength and to be that better version of ourselves that we often feel is out of reach he made it possible through the pain and the shame of being treated like a criminal to have a direct relationship with god with the great i am so we are to consider him or dwell on him remember him think on him look forward to him so that we don't fall into exhaustion so that we do not lose heart because that is the goal and the joy of the enemy to suck out your hope and your purpose and your faith and what lies in the future but look at this measuring tape picture your life in these millimeters right okay your past the dash where you got to know jesus and here's like your future on earth right hopefully you got a few more inches on there to go. Depends where where at in your life you're saved. But here's your life. This is your whole life. This is all you're ever going to get in this body on this earth, right? Think about how much longer you have to suffer with pain, desperation, temptations, and the chaos of this world. Now look at eternity. And that is what you're supposed to set your eyes on. In Luke 9.62, Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. He also said in Matthew 11:28 28 through 30, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So you put your hand to the plow. You don't look back and you keep your eyes on the future that awaits you. In this world, there is going to be turmoil and struggle and there is going to be work to do. But Jesus offers rest and all of our baggage and our past is nothing to him. When we are weary and we are burdened, and we often are, we can put all of that, we can dump it all off into those wastelands and we can pick up the lighter burden, the peace-filled weight of serving our creator. And one day, either when we pass away or Jesus comes back to take us home, the beginning of Revelations 21 tells us what to expect. In verses one through seven, it says, "'Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, "'for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, So look forward, my friends, because there is nothing behind you that is worth even glancing back at, but there is everything before and in front of you and ahead of you. And that's all I have for today. So thank you guys for joining in and learning with me as God teaches me new things, and I'll be excited to see you next time. Don't forget that these episodes are available on youtube on podcasts on the blog on the website and any interactions you have with those with liking reviewing subscribing and interacting on social media platforms is just another way to boost my ministry and get these things that i'm learning in front of other people to maybe gain some new knowledge as well so as usual if you have any questions about today's episode anything in the bible or maybe have a prayer request feel free to reach out i'd love to chat with you. I'd love to answer any questions. I'd love to pray for you. Um, but yeah, other than that, if you haven't heard it today already, Jesus loves you. God loves you. I love you. You are important. You have worth and you have a purpose. So I'm signing off. Bye.